All right, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Future Ear Radio Podcast. I am very excited for this episode today. I'm joined by my good friend, Christina Coppola. Christina, thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, thanks so much, Dave. Um, I'm so happy to be here. I think this podcast is fantastic. I love what you're doing with it. So uh, really excited, excited to be a guest on here. Um, so I am uh, Christina Coppola, as Dave said, I am a vestibular audiologist. Um, we let an equilibrium specialist, if you will, uh, at the American Institute of Balance in Largo, Florida. Um, so I went to UCF for my undergrad. I actually majored in, um, it was an interdisciplinary study track, biomedical science, social science, and health all combined. And then I went to the USF uh, audiology graduate program and got my doctoral uh, degree in audiology and was for my fourth year residency or externship, came to AIB um, and loved it. The moment I walked on the property, I knew that I wanted to be here. I wanted to be, uh, you know, a part of the team here. And uh, they signed me on after graduation. So since then, you know, I've been a clinician uh, throughout the entirety of, of me being here. Um, but, you know, while I was within my residency, the CSC program kind of started to become less of just an idea talked about murmured in the hallways and more so uh, a reality that we're all dealing with. So um, I kind of watched the CSCs flourish and, and come to be what it is today. Uh, so I've grown to be very involved in that process as well. So if you, if any of the listeners have heard uh, Dr. Joe Sakamura's episode a couple episodes ago, uh, he talked a lot about the CSCs. Um, and so I, I, I am a uh, clinical consultant and overreader for that program. Um, and aside from that, I've really just embraced the having students and being a preceptor. Um, and I've since taken over the student program at AIB. Uh, so that includes, you know, not only uh, us facilitating, facilitating preceptorship for our externs, um, but also we have a university program, which I can talk a little bit about um, in, in a few minutes. And we also have the AIB Match Me program, which is, I'm really, really excited to talk about today. Well, fantastic. Great to have you on. Um, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed getting to know the whole AIB team over the course of the last year. Um, and it's, it's really cool. Like what AIB has sort of seems to embody, which is, you know, you have Richard and then you have all of these, uh, young professionals that are that, you know, he's kind of mentoring, it seems. Um, and, uh, I just have really enjoyed getting to know you all and, and kind of hearing all your different backstories, your different areas of expertise. And it's, it's like a, you're a high performing team. And I think you all play different roles within that team. Like you said, I had Joe on, um, and he really outlined like the, the way that the whole CSCs work, these centers of specialty care, but it's way more than just one person. Like there's a whole team behind it. And it seems as if you're all really kind of catching fire with um, the way that this is becoming a, a real offering in the industry and more and more 
and private practitioners are hopping on board and making this a part of their offering. So wanted to bring you on to talk about a lot of the different things that you mentioned there in your intro. Um, I guess let's just start with your backstory. Um, you know, how you came into the field of audiology and it, you know, it sounds like medicine has been something that's been a theme within your family history. So if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about your own backstory. Yeah, absolutely. So I always knew that I was more medically oriented. Um, I come from a family. My my uh, mother was actually a respiratory therapist, um, and my father is a, um, a cancer researcher. So he's a, a gastrointestinal pathologist and has been for many years. So you know they've kind of uh, tried through inception or, or whatnot, you know, to get me to kind of follow along their path. And while, you know, I really knew that I always wanted to do something within the healthcare community, um, I, I didn't necessarily want to take on exactly, you know, under their wing. So uh, I kind of had my, you know, I was perusing around in, in college, uh, the different healthcare realms and um, things like that. And basically what, what brought me to audiology was just I was extremely attracted to uh, neuroscience and as well as the uh, auditory system. So my whole goal was to couple the two and marry them. And so did, you know, through quick, you know, research and, and, and searches, uh, I came upon audiology. I found out that it was a four-year doctoral degree. And the last year was largely a externship, uh, you know, full immersive opportunity. Um, so I came into the program bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for, you know, the first year or two, uh, really soaking up all of that anatomical and physiological information, just really astounded by the mechanisms of the ear and its connection to the brain and so forth. Uh, do you, I know you're, you're not an audiologist, but do you know actually like the mechanism of, of sound entering the system? I, everything I've learned is just through conversations like this. I am a, I am a layman through and through, but I feel like through osmosis, I've, I've, I've picked up a lot of this stuff, but if you want to describe it, that would yeah, I mean, refresh just my quick, memory. <laughs> a quick nerd, nerd out. Um, so sound basically enters the ear, uh, moves these bones, which push upon, you know, the cochlea and basically this sound or um, fluid vibration travels down through the cochlea, depending on whether or not it's a low frequency or a high frequency, it either travels longer or shorter. So, you know, you can hear men's voices in, in a big room and not so much uh, women's voices booming. That's because low frequencies travel farther. So they all like resonate on this cochlea, which then stimulate exact, you know, nerves that are tonotopically organized. And then that sends the message up to the brain. So, you know, you think about things as like a single frequency, but we know that all of the noise that we hear around us is you know, layers and layers of complex sound. So the fact that our ears take in that information all, you know, embedded in a matrices on top of one another. And then that signal gets sent up to the brain and your brain's able to parse out different patterns uh, of things that it recognizes like speech, environmental noise. And in music. real time. Just insane, just yeah. completely. And it's so tiny. It's just insane. So that I was just blown away by and, and I needed, I needed to do something within this field. Cause I just thought it was so awesome. Um, so, you know, loved psychoacoustics, loved anatomy and physiology, all those really great courses. Um, then, you know, 
coming more so at the later years within the uh, graduate program, you get more and more integrated into clinic and less so into like some of the theoretical background of the courses. Um, and so in that, I kind of realized pretty quickly that, um, you know, <laughs> I, I, it sounds obvious now to say it, but uh, what hearing doctors do is assess and treat hearing loss. And so um, I know that sounds really obvious now. And for me to say it now, it's like, duh. But um, <laughs> I, I felt that I wanted something more multifaceted and I wanted something more um, integral between professions. So my, like I said, my background was in interdisciplinary sciences. And uh, so I really, really uh, valued the idea of you know, cross-disciplinary communication and, and um, multidisciplinary approaches to rehabilitation and treatment. And so that's what kind of uh, guided me towards um, some, a practice similar to, 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 vestibul to vestibular science. But um, I hadn't taken the course yet, and I didn't know too much about it because uh, within audiology and the doctoral programs, um, my interpretation of it is that uh, essentially they put everything vestibular in a box and you don't touch it until you get there. Whereas with other subspecialties like cochlear implants or um, pediatrics, you know, different medical audiology, it's all touched upon briefly in yeah. every single course. You know, you always, you learn what the candidacy criteria is for hearing aids and cochlear implants. And you learn the, the different, um, you know, norms for peds and adults. And, but you do have that specialty course, you have pediatrics and you have CIs as their own course, but it didn't seem, you know, that's all involved in hearing. So it didn't seem like they had anything in, you know, crossing over between courses, uh, addressing vestibular science. Um, I think because it was just this, you know, uh, kind of abstract idea, uh, so, so different from, from hearing. And so, um, you know, I think professors were largely uncomfortable teaching that at a graduate level, um, in, in a graduate level course when they weren't too familiar with it, you know, based on their own experiences within, within the, uh, profession. So uh, that's one of the reasons actually where we uh, decided that the university program was a really, really good idea um, to kind of, you know, fill this need within the field. Um, so AIB, offer, if you don't know, AIB offers a university program um, to both either universities or students themselves. And essentially it's for per student, no, no more than the cost of a textbook. Uh, and we have all the course outlined. Uh, we have video labs. They can have live labs via Zoom with us. Um, and we, you know, we've constructed the examinations and we grade them and everything. So if a, you know, if a uh, university has an issue uh, filling the role of the vestibular uh, professor, we're able to help them do that so that they can provide their students, you know, world-class uh, education on this subject. And so, you know, I, I do think that that is one of the ways in which we can kind of guide, help, help and guide the future of audiology to be more um, accepting for vestibular science. Um, another one of those ways is uh, the Match Me program, because it's really, really great if you have all that foundational knowledge. Uh, as, as I said in my previous story, I, I loved the foundational knowledge of, of audiology, but 
when I got to the clinical realities of it, it was entirely different from what I expected. Um, so, you know, the Match Me program is there to also allow students who are more vestibular oriented um, opportunities to get clinical experiences. So essentially, this is for a fourth year or, you know, third year, if you're a third year program, um, but your, your externship year, uh, we take your geographic preference and your clinical preferences, and we match you with a site that can fulfill those things. Um, so those sites are sourced from our centers of specialty care, and um, they are just absolutely crazy about the idea of taking in students. And we're the ones who know, you know, the students that want to be in Vistip because um, they've typically applied to be at our residency. So we're in a really awesome opportunity to help kind of bridge the gap between two parties that that have mutual interests. What's so cool is like every single time I, I interact with you all, it'll be, you know, a few months will have passed and something new comes along. And so for for this last time, this last iteration, when we were in St. Louis at AAA, I was talking with you and you were describing this whole match me program. And, and again, it's just one of these things that is such a, it's so brilliant um, for a number of reasons. So I'll just kind of list out my reasons and then we can kind of start to talk through them. But for me, you know, okay, first of all, I think that if you're a young professional entering into the field of audiology um, and you know that there are these threats on the horizon, well, what can you do to sort of future-proof yourself? One way that you can do that would be to, to sort of specialize your whole like acumen and, and make your, um, from a professional standpoint, not only are you an audiologist, but you have some level of specialty so that you're just even more indispensable um, in a, you know, it just sets you apart that way. The other thing is on the employer side. So a few episodes ago, I, I interviewed um, Shadi Chakutari, and um, I think I got her last name right, <laughs> maybe not. Uh, and um, it, it's, you know, she was describing as a recruiter um, the challenges that, you know, all of the different employers in this industry are facing. Uh, you know, and we talked a lot about like, private practice and why there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest in wanting to go into private practice. And again, I think it's all kind of rooted in this idea of what's the longevity of private practice audiology. And I think if it's rooted in the paradigm of selling hearing aids, I don't know the answer to that question. However, what you're all doing is presenting a totally new paradigm. I think of it's not a replacement, it's an augmentation. And so I think that that's What's really cool about this is that you've created this thing, you know, with the AIB in general, and then now being able to start to shepherd along the new generation into this specialty and say, first of all, it's going to make you even more valuable in the labor market. Second of all, it's going to provide you with a totally diversified type of revenue stream. And we can get into, you had mentioned, you know, you're doing the overreads. And I think that's a really important part of everything that you do. But I think that ultimately what it comes down to is it just makes your offering that much more compelling because it's a win-win for both the, the potential employee, the students, and then also for all the different centers of specialty care that you're feeding these soon to be specialized audiologists um, into their practices and saying, you know, here's someone that we're training basically on your behalf to be a 
liaison of the AIB within your own clinic. That's so valuable to me. It really is. And you've got to think, you know, when we go to these conferences and we meet with audiologists and they're they're buying into the idea, they see the importance of it and uh, they're ready to put the rubber to the road, but they just don't know how or who will be doing it. Uh, the students are just an obvious, obvious option um, because these audiologists, they're comfortable fitting hearing aids, they're comfortable uh you know, programming CIs, whatever they're doing within their practice, they're successful at it and they want to keep doing that. Yes, they see the importance of the vestibular side of things and implementing that into their practice as well. But, you know, not everyone has a full salary to take on someone to do that. And so, um, you know, a student would be an awesome option for them to continue to uh, keep up on their side of things, you know, the, uh, the hearing um, hearing aids, whatever their practice is specializing in. And then um, we, the student then can take on all of that, you know, uh, responsibility of the learning process and things like that to get them um, on board. And I'm glad that you mentioned that, you know, we're, we're training them because uh, there's a boot camp that we put our own residents through uh, that essentially is a week long. And so if you go to one of our centers of specialty care as a student, uh, you're invited to that boot camp. So you come down to AIB headquarters for a week and learn all of that great foundational knowledge that you're going to need to move forward and start seeing patients. Um, so you learn from the senior staff here and the ins and outs of, um, you know, exactly what you'll be doing. And then once you go back and you're shipped off back to your respective locations, um, we maintain a mentorship between, you know, us and that practice and the student can benefit from, you know, further uh, distance trainings and, and consultations and things like that. So um, it's a really, really op- great option not only for a student, but also, you know, it, it, it plays into the success of our CSCs as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that, uh, again, you know, think I, I just keep putting myself in the shoes of a lot of the private practitioners within this industry have been at it for a while. And, um, you know, it's, it's just sort of like, if you're really busy and you're occupied, it's probably feels pretty daunting to mm-hmm. man. I have to take upon something that is, um, you know, potentially as uh, it could it, in scope, it could grow to as large of an offering as one that I've been focused on for the last 20 years. And so I think that providing them with this alternative where you say, look, you can become a center of specialty care and we're going to help onboard you and all this stuff. And, and now what you're providing them with this match me program is in addition to that, we're actually going to train this young professional that's going to come in and they're going to be the one that's actually kind of taking the lead on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, obviously there's a lot of training involved, um, on, on lots of different facets, not necessarily just, um, the, all of the vestibular stuff, but I just find this to be, um, it, it really caters to the gap with that's in the market right now, Mm -hmm. which is again, it's like, I think we can all recognize that there are a lot of other really exciting revenue generation opportunities, but it's a matter of like, how do you make those digestible, feasible, approachable? You know, how do you make these something that people look at and they say, all right, I actually can take that on. And this is just one more uh, layer to that whole thing of making Mm -hmm. it feel, like, okay, this is manageable. I can do this. 
Yeah. Like how, how, if you're a practice looking for a student who's interested in Vistip, how are you supposed to find them? In, right. in every mm-hmm. class, there's maybe one, two. And so, you know, other than posting on the lists, listservs, which not everyone's a part of, um, there's really no other option. And, and we kind of modeled this, uh, not that we're necessarily ma- making the exact matches and saying you're going here for your um, externship. We did model it a little bit after, um, you know, the medical schools, they, they do a matching. And so um, everything we do, we try and kind of model other healthcare professions and what's been done before. Um, so this is kind of our way, our adaptation of that, where we're just simply putting the student and the sites in contact, making our recommendations and promoting particular students that we have interviewed and, and see favorable. Um, and then uh, that site can then take on the final interview and ultimately make the final decision on who's the best fit for their practice. So it's an awesome, awesome networking opportunity for both students and, and practices. And um, I, I just really just kudos to Dr. Gans for um, making the environment here at AIB such an awesome, welcoming, uh, innovative uh, environment to work in because as you mentioned before, all of the parts of AIB, like all of the subsects and, and things like that all fit into one another perfectly. Like they play into each other the way that gears kind of connect and play into each other, like within uh, an engine, what have you. Um, because, you know, it, if you know the history of AIB, we've been, we've been around for 30 years. So we're coming up on our 30 year anniversary. Um, education has been a large portion of what we do here. Yes, we're a private practice clinic, um, but we've been educating PTs for about 20 years. Um, And we educate 1,200 PTs and OTs to do this treatment um, every single year. So uh, we have a large network of providers that are able to help patients that are diagnosed so that feeds into, you know, our new, this new idea of the CSC where we can get them diagnosed. Okay, well, now they're diagnosed in, in Arkansas. What do I do with this patient? They can't come to physical therapy in Tampa. And so we've, we have this network that's uh, able to treat the patients that are diagnosed. And now, well, uh, the centers that are doing the neurodiagnostic testing, they're in need of workers and they're need, in need of technicians and students and, and things like that. And we're providing all of those things to them so that it, it tr- is truly a turnkey process. Um, you know, we've not to kind of double over on, on what uh, Joe talked about in his episode, but, but really those sites are provided with every single component of how to make that business successful. Um, and like you said, this is just one more part of it. And it is, it's really, really cool to see how, um, a business like this does embrace ideas like that and take it and use those ideas to the, to the fullest, uh, potential. Um, you know, I, I don't know if you know, uh, but, uh, when I was a resident, we created a podcast, actually, we had, we had our student podcast. I did podcast. not know that. Yeah. I did not know that. It was, a it was called Turning Heads, um, kind of a play on the, uh, mm-hmm. panel three positioning maneuvers. Um, but it was a uh, resident podcast made by students for students. And we essentially were trying to be the mouthpiece of, of our, our, the next generation and, and letting them know that um, vestibular science is very, very uh, interesting. It's very fulfilling. It's, uh, you know, 
very uh, profitable. A lot of what audiology, the, the hearsay, um, and what deters a lot of people from going into this specialty is that, oh, you know, you can't, you can't make a living just doing, doing vestibular testing. Um, you need to also at least sell hearing aids. And, and if that's the case, then why not sell hearing aids the entire time? And I think that, you know, uh, as I may have said before, we've, we've proved that time and time again, uh, with our centers of specialty care and with their success. Yeah. I had no idea that you had a podcast. That's so cool. Yeah. How, how many episodes did you guys end up doing? <laughs> so there was three. Okay. Um, what happened was uh, the pandemic obviously put yeah. us all in, you know, it was difficult to get recordings uh, from a distance and kind of piece them together, um, especially while some of us were in clinic and some of us were at home. Also, you know, uh, just the nature of the pandemic, different people got COVID at different times. And then um, also the CSCs were really taking off during right. that time. So we got pulled more and more into those responsibilities. And it, it was a really difficult process. I mean, kudos to you for having the podcast, the editing <laughs> process and all that was just, oh, man. It's a little bit I, more than it, than meets the eye. <laughs> yeah. It's daunting. I wish there yeah. was a CSE for podcasting. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I just, I've had people say to me before, um, you know, like you seem so optimistic about, uh, this whole industry and stuff. And, um, it kind of conflicts with some of the narratives that are peddled, uh, that are a lot more doom and gloom. And I'm, I am an optimistic person just by nature, but a large part of my optimism is actually derived by the fact that I've met so many people over the last few years that are telling me things that you don't really hear unless you're kind of like actually boots on the ground and you're hearing this stuff at the ground level. And I just think like the thing I love so much about AIB is that it's full of young people. And I think that, you know, if anyone has uh, like for some of these people that have been in the industry for a while, like they actually might have an exit plan. They, you know, so if, if you're just entering into this, um, you got a lot on the line here and there's a lot yeah. at stake. And so to hear um, you and and just all the others that I've met over there, uh, share your optimism for this space and this embrace of like thinking differently is so exciting and encouraging. And so I'm just curious, like I've met a lot of the core AIB people, but with match me and all that, like how has this gone so far in you know, what's kind of been the response of some of these young professionals that are just entering into the industry? I mean, um, is this being well-received? Are they looking at this and are excited about, you know, Hey, you know, I didn't really even learn this stuff that much within my graduate program, but yeah. now I'm learning more. And I'm realizing that I really want this to be a focus of, of how I build up my own skill set within this profession. I mean, What's kind of been like your overall, um, the, the reception toward this from the students? Yeah, no, that's actually a really good question. I'm, I'm glad you asked that. Um, so really, I think the initial response to kind of, you know, hearing about the Match Me program is what students hear in their brain is, hey, oh my gosh, I can apply to this one person and my application can essentially, if I had no quarrels with living situation or or uh, clinical, you know, preferences, 
it could be blasted to 70 different sites or however many different sites choose to uh, participate in this. And so it takes a lot of the load off of the student um, and that work, that that uh, anxiety when you are applying to different externships, where do I apply? What's a good program? Um, because we're able to kind of speak for that student and also speak for that practice and and try and match a really good a good fit. Um, but essentially, I mean, it's a no brainer to me. If I was a student, I would definitely apply to the Match Me program um, as well as AIB's program um, because you know it's it's just. To be honest, uh, a really, really great opportunity for them. And um, back to your point about like kind of what what their their thought process is with that um, is a lot of the students who who do get onto the interview with me and and we're talking about you know what what their goals are and what we're looking for. Um, there's a lot of fear in some students that. Uh, oh, you know, am I making a mistake, like jumping into Vistib? Am I going to be left out of the loop as far as hearing if, if this doesn't work out? And, and, and those are some of the concerns. And I always address them like, hey, you know, if to be completely honest, if you're going to get a specialty education or a vestibular education, you do it in your younger years. Um, no, these opportunities are yes. not available for uh, clinicians who have been in the field for many years. It's, you know, either you come into it with that background or you don't. On the other side of things, uh, the you can, you know, you went to school for, for audiology, you learned 99% of your courses were about hearing. And there's so many different opportunities, so many different places where you can work um, and, and you can gain that knowledge, not to mention the fact that there's obviously new, new technology coming out every year. So it's almost like even the you know, devices four years ago can be obsolete. Right. Um, so you're having to relearn them anyways. Um, so, you know, th those are kind of my words of encouragement to the student and they, they usually receive that really well. Um, and especially, you know, when I talk about um, how AIB has adopted a, a very medical kind of um, perspective on things, we, we really do believe in interprofessional collaboration. And we often are on the phone with neurologists, with primary care physicians, ENTs, to kind of uh, educate those uh, facilitators on, on what we're doing and what we're seeing and, and what we see within the research. And at the same time, gain their insight. You know, it's one of the reasons why we're at all of these um, other conferences that aren't audiology based. You know, we were just at the American Academy of Neurology. Uh, we go to conferences all, all over the world um, in many different professions and so that we can advocate for our own profession and for um, the uh, you, you, utility that we can provide the greater healthcare space. Um, so really, you know, knowing that and then also having uh, multi- disciplines within house, you know, we have an ENT on staff, we have physical therapy, uh, we have audiology. And so 
we're involved in patient care, we get to see kind of both sides of things uh, all the way from, you know, diagnostic to treatment. We see that patient, we, you know, fully evaluate them neurodiagnostically, and then we're able to come up with a plan um, for them. And we're also able to shadow uh, those appointments with physical therapy on, on their journey to recovery. Um, so knowing what those appointments involve and, and, and um, demand from that patient uh, is honestly just one of the most important things you can be discussing during your um, consultation with that patient. Because I've seen patients, it is truly night and day. If you see a patient who has been primed and prepped and teed up for physical therapy versus somebody who you know, they know they're going to vestibular therapy or balance therapy, but they don't really know what it involves. They think, oh, I'm going to go into this therapy and I'm going to um, get better after six weeks or after a couple visits with them. And simply, you know, that's, that's kind of like thinking that, you know, you can go to the dentist and, and just get a teeth cleaning every six months and your teeth are clean. No, you have to understand that you have to do the work at home. You have to brush every day, floss every day. <laughs> um, and so right. uh, being able to prep and prime that patient at the diagnostic stage um, that, hey, you know, this is we have there's a research and, um, you know, treatments that are very effective for you. you. You can absolutely overcome this, but it's going to take some dedication. Um, there's going to be in in person. Uh, you know, physical therapy sessions, but a lot of the, the um, work is done at home. And so priming those patients, um, it makes all the difference. And, and it's one of the reasons why we always love to reach over, you know, across the aisle to other professions and, and kind of see, you know, their perspective, their treatment, uh, how they feel about our testing, and we're able to kind of mutually educate each other. So that's a huge, huge, um, I think, also just a, a, a glaring gap in audiology is just the lack of interprofessionalism. I feel that a lot of times audiologists are afraid to go outside of their scope or even, you know, uh, entertain the idea of discussing something outside of their scope. Um, so, you know, we're, we're here to kind of, kind of change that and then, and, and be the leaders in you know, bridging the gap between um, us and other fields. I love what you said too, about how, like, you know, you're, if you're young, uh, mm -hmm. get this experience now because you have it for life then, you know, and you can get all the other stuff later, but like having like, uh, having some level of specialized expertise within your field, um, is just going to pay dividends down the line. So again, I would just mm -hmm. encourage young people listening, like it doesn't necessarily have to be going the vestibular route, but I would think about that in terms of like, how can you differentiate yourself for life? I think that one way to do that is have a level of specialization in something, knowing that like the general knowledge will come with time. You're just going to mm -hmm. be exposed to that naturally. So you had mentioned you have, I guess, kind of walk me through what happens when you, you'd get accepted, you get, you're part of the match me program. You said that it starts with like this week long boot camp down at, uh, down in Tampa at AIB what happens from there? Like what's this boot camp like? And then where do you go from there? Do you immediately get placed? Um, or how does that work? 
Yeah, so it's really depending on the site. Uh, so our boot camp is a week long, and and it just basically preps the patient to go into that externship with some background knowledge. You know, we don't we don't expect everyone to have the highest level of education as far as this did, because we all know that we, we only took one or two courses on it. Um, so, you know, it's essentially just um, giving them all of the background knowledge that they're going to need to understand, you know, not only how to, how to treat patients, how to evaluate them, but, but also how to interpret all of those results. Um, so once they leave here, they're, they're, they have the tools to be a, you know, fully sufficient uh, a clinical vestibular, at least technician to begin with. So they will know how to run the tests. And then everything uh, beyond that will be kind of a distance mentorship on how to uh, interpret them and, and, and the different treatments and things like that. So um, once they go back to their site, which is dependent on when the site uh, would like the student, but typically uh, students can start anywhere from May to July. Um, and uh, then they will spend, uh, depending on, it's actually depending on the university's requirements for graduation, um, how long they have to be there. Is it exactly a year or is it, you know, a certain number of clinical hours? Um, so all of that is completely individualized for the student's needs. Um, but yeah, that's in, in a nutshell, that's essentially uh, the process. And then on the flip side with the CSCs, um, how, how do they, how does this come to be where you basically uh, indicate, I guess, to, to you all, Hey, I want to be a part of this. I I'm looking yeah. for help. How does that work? Yep. So we've reached out to them and um, asked if they would like to participate and they fill out a quick survey uh, based on or with questions that are geared towards uh, what they would be able to offer a student, what they're looking for, how many students for how long, X, Y, Z. So um, I take both of those survey informations, one from the student and one from the practice site, analyze that and then um, make best fits and then essentially share the, um, the full application um, which is includes like letter, letters of recommendation, resume, all of that, that, that uh, is uh, uh, application requirement. And I send that to all of the sites. I also, in the meantime, have um, interviews with the students and kind of get a feel for what, you know, what's a good fit for them, what they're looking for in a, in a fourth year residency or externship experience. And then um, I'm able to then promote them to those uh, sites. That makes sense. So, yeah. um, you know, I guess the way I'm thinking about this is just that, um, you know, for the, for the CSCs, um, is this, how long has match me, uh, existed? Is this pretty brand new? So yeah, it's, it's pretty much in its infancy. Um, okay. last year, it, the way that it came to be was essentially last year, uh, we had so many really, really great applicants. So AIB gets around 70 applicants a year for our residency. Um, you know, we, we are known as the Mecca of, you know, dizziness and balance. So everyone who wants to, uh, be, you know, within that specialty wants to come here. Um, so we get, a lot of applicants, unfortunately, we're not able to take, you know, very many of them. We only can take a handful from three to five students per year, depending on the, the space that we have that year. Um, so we end up with all these really, really great, optimistic, you know, um, 
smart students uh, really wanting a background in VSTIP. And at the same time, it was just coming to be that the CFCs were growing just immensely. Every It seemed like every month we were signing on you know, a few different practices. Um, and they all had this kind of concern of, you know, who's going to be able to see patients because um, right. they would, you know, you start slow, you start with what you can handle. And then as quickly as you're ready to um, increase your patient load, we allow that and we support that in different um, ways. We get people in the door when you're ready to have them in the door. So it, a lot of these practices pretty quickly end up with full schedules of, of um, dizzy and imbalanced patients. Uh, so, you know, they're, they quickly uh, realize this, they're almost, um, you know, we need victims help. of their own success. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, this at the same time was occurring and I just really thought that it was a, it was a, an obvious option. Well, you know, these students could fulfill these needs for these practices, these practices could fulfill these needs for these students. And so that's kind of where um, the match me came to be. And it was only, you know, last year we didn't even have like a process in place. It just, we started you know, suggesting students to certain sites that we really felt strongly for, but couldn't couldn't necessarily take. Um, and uh, yeah, it turned out that a lot of sites, you know, really wanted students, and a lot of students ended up going to those sites. So yeah, basically, uh, as I was saying, the um, AIB just allows it has this environment that allows you to kind of uh, it's they support all of your ideas and so that you can bring them to fruition. And um, it's allowed me to kind of mold this match me program into, you know, something that it wasn't last year. It's, it's like I said, in its infancy and, and I can foresee in the next year that it will be entirely different than it is this year. Um, It's only going to grow and mature as our programs also grow and mature. Um, And I even, you know, I even predict that this may go beyond graduation for students, and we may actually uh, start having job opportunities for uh, new professionals within the space of audiology. So if you are a new professional and you are thinking about, you know, furthering your specialty within vestibular science and assessment and management or neurodiagnostic assessment and management, um, absolutely don't hesitate to reach out. I think that, you know, over the last uh, 30 years, it's been known that AIB typically hires their residents. Uh, We think of our, you know, one year with the practice um, in, in externship as kind of like a training year. And so that when you come and you graduate, you're fully hireable. And so AIB has been very, very known to to hire on their residents. Um, But I do think that as we expand, there's other job opportunities for people coming from outside if AIB to to be involved in at least some of the things that we're doing. So um, I think that that's on the horizon and that's something really, really exciting to look forward to. Yeah. I, um, I was going to ask, you know, kind of part of the, the original question was um, I didn't know if this had been around long enough to where you had been able to see if anyone had actually been brought on full time uh, as like a, as a hire beyond just being um, an extern. And I, do agree with you. It seems like that's kind of the trajectory you're heading toward. 
Yeah, yes. People have absolutely been hired on um, even just in the last year uh, from you know, the infancy of, of match me. But I do think that, you know, people who weren't even associated with CSEs in the future could contact AIB and, and have potential job opportunity somewhere um, in, in the field. Yeah. Well, this has been such a great chat, Christina. Um, where can people, you know, connect with you, learn more about this, potentially even pursue the match me program and just get linked up, uh, I guess, a little bit more with the AIB. Absolutely. So um, I think the best way is probably through email. Um, my email is c.coppola at dizzy.com. Um, and I think that, you know, in order to direct someone in the right in the right kind of uh, flow of things or pathway, I, I need some background information. So a really good, uh, you know, initial conversation, I think, can lead to uh, further uh, you know, <laughs> instructions or, or further uh, references to, to where we, you could go. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end and we will chat with you next time. Awesome. Cheers. Thank you.